Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined by Michael the Pod Pina from 538 and GQ. Now, Michael, they do not keep score at the NBA draft. That's why they're guys like us, the real experts, to come through and tell everyone who won and who lost during the NBA draft. It was an interesting night, Michael. There were no trades among the top 14 picks within the lottery. Obviously, Anthony Edwards from Georgia went to Minnesota at number one. James Weissman went to Golden State at number two. LaMelo Ball went to the Charlotte Hornets at number three, and the draft proceeded from there. But there were some other trades that went on involving Al Horford from Philadelphia and uh, Josh Richardson going to Dallas. The list goes on and on from there. Michael, I just want to know off the top when we're discussing winners and losers, when you come away from that night, from the viewing experience, from not being able to be there at Barclays Center to watching it on television virtually, did you feel like a winner or did you feel like a loser? <laughs> Good night, bad night, where would you rank it? Um, it wasn't the most entertaining draft that I've ever watched. I mean, I think that the, the as a television program, they did the best they can in a really weird situation. Um, as someone also who, I mean, I feel like we just for a variety of reasons, don't know a lot of these players and what they're good and bad at. And so to hear a lot of like, tell me about the time your dog got run over by a car stories instead of uh, like highlights of how good and uh, strengths and weaknesses, like of what the prospects can bring to the table. I would have preferred a little bit more of the latter, but you know, uh, other all, all things considered, it was it was fine programming, I guess. I felt like a loser. I'm not even going to beat around the bush. I mean, look, I think, first of all, I really enjoy going to the NBA draft, and it's such a hectic night to cover. And I would say, honestly, most of my coverage of the NBA draft when I'm in person, 
you're just trying to do the best you can. You're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, right? Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of time yeah. it's involving like dollar slice pizzas, uh, you know, from some, you know, New York corner store at like 3.30 in the morning as you're trying to tape podcasts and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I just miss the frantic energy. To me, watching it on TV, there was a little bit of a joylessness to it. I think maybe some of it from the stories that you're describing, but just the fact that people were separated and these guys were getting to celebrate with their families, which I absolutely loved, but they didn't get that great iconic moment with Adam Silver, and I felt kind of bad for them on that front. But I think more than anything, it was just the lack of trades in the lottery, wasn't it? I mean, I came in thinking, look, there's a bunch of teams at the top, starting with picks one and two, who should both be really interested in trading down or trying to pick up more assets or or getting themselves into more of a win-now mode. And we just didn't see it develop. And I think that that's part of the reason why I think I feel like a loser here is because I just think maybe we slightly overestimated the level of interest in these top prospects, even though we all said it was a down draft for months and months and months, if not years. And I think a lot of the guys, maybe if you're drafting in that three to 10 range and you were kind of within uh, a position where you could try to move up and get one of those top two picks, you just looked at those guys and said, you know what? We're good. We're not that interested in the guys this year. We're just going to pick whoever lands in our lap. We're going to go home and call it a night. So from that standpoint, I thought it was a little bit anticlimactic. I'm not trying to rain on the parade, uh, of course, but it just wasn't the most exciting draft we've ever seen, in my opinion. That seems to be like every draft, but like you said, this one was particularly uh, uh, less, had a little bit less spunk in it just because there weren't that, there wasn't a Zion, there wasn't a Blake Griffin, there wasn't a LeBron, there wasn't that like clear cut franchise player. But there also wasn't that Trey Young for Luka Doncic stare down trade, right? Where it's like, who's going to be on the right side of history? And you know when it's happening (laughs) that like, oh boy, there's going to be a big time winner and there's going to be a big time loser here. We're just not sure who it was. And of course it wound up being Vlade Divac, uh, surprise, surprise on that deal, but um, kind of indirectly by just not taking Luka at too, but um, you know, putting aside the lack of activity, I'm curious when you're stepping back and you're looking at kind of the uh, the entire lottery, um, you know, group there led by Edwards, uh, you know, on down uh, through the top 14 picks. Which player or which team did you feel like came out as the biggest winner um, from that group? Biggest winner, you know, I kind of feel like outside. I think the biggest winner was a team that didn't necessarily make like uh, a, a particular pick, but like I'm walking out of this thinking that Daryl Morey and the Philadelphia 76ers just hit a grand slam here. Um, wow! With the 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 trades that they made, like it's, are you hold on though? Are you overreacting like one of these basketball dorks on the internet? Oh, Daryl does something great, so now you have to snap to attention and just give him a standing ovation, <laughs> or is this uh, is this genuine praise, Michael? Come on now. No, it's genuine praise, but at the same time, like to your point, it was just so bad in Philly with how their roster was constructed that some common sense moves look genius if that makes any sense like we said when we first were discussing Daryl Morey's hire that the the moves that he needed to make number one was get rid of Al Horford right so he gets rid of Al Horford and adds 
a rotation player in Danny Green who just basically wins the championship every single season along with Terrence Ferguson and he didn't even really have to give up any immediate draft assets the, the draft asset is 2025 protected first round pick so like that move was really brilliant um and the Josh Richardson trade you know Josh Richardson shot 34 percent from deep last season that's not going to get it done surrounding Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and he trades Josh Richardson for arguably the best shooter alive. You know, Seth Curry, uh, out of all players who took 500 shots last season, only Duncan Robinson and Brandon Clark had a higher effective field goal percentage. So, like, that's just, like, common sense. But also, when you actually see it actualized and and pulled off, it's brilliant. So here's my thought. First of all, Daryl Morey walked right into Elton Brand's office, and he was like, bro, that rug is ugly. That's got to go. <laughs> Have you ever considered opening your window shade so you can actually get a view? God, it's so much nicer in here. He basically took what Elton Brand did last summer, snapped his fingers, and made it disappear, just like magic, as Ariana Grande would say in a recent song. And poof, some of those problems that, that Elton Brand created last summer just disappeared overnight. Now, the reason why I like the Al Horford trade is because he didn't have to attach that many assets. You're right to point out the first round picks a long time into the future, but I thought it was going to take even more than that, you know, potentially to dump all that, uh, you know, contract. I mean, Al Horford still have some level of game left and he's going to be, you know, a productive player in certain circumstances, but not at the money he's making, right? And so from that standpoint, you're only losing one first round pick in that deal. It's great. I do want to caution the Sixers fans like, Danny Green is a lot worse right now than Josh Richardson. I know perception would tell you, oh, Richardson couldn't hit shots. Danny Green's a better shooter. Like, that is a downgrade. And I think Philadelphia fans need to realize the sooner that they get that, the better. Green's confidence was up and down. I mean, he he was not who he was three or four years ago, I would say for sure, uh, for the Lakers or throughout that bubble run. He's one of those guys, he's such a clean 3 and D player that he sounds great on paper. You watch him every night and he starts to get pretty frustrating. Um, but, you know, I understand the, the way they're retooling things. What I like about these moves for Philly is it works if Simmons is still your point guard. It also works pretty nicely if you're finding a way to trade Simmons for James Harden, right? Like that's still on the table. If you're starting five next year, w- somehow winds up being Harden, Seth Curry, uh, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. That's a pretty nice squad. That's a much, much, much more modern team than they had last year. So that's sort of their best case scenario right now if they could pull off a Harden trade. But even if they have Simmons, they've made his life an awful lot easier. And they've also got another uh, lead ball handler in Curry, which they badly needed. I want to point out, though, I actually like this from Dallas' side too, right? You know, I think Mm -hmm. that Curry was a helpful piece for them. But if you're saying what were their biggest needs, you know, wing, strength, length, versatility on defense is what they needed to put around Luka. They nabbed that perfectly. They don't need Curry as much because Luka's going to be doing everything uh, this upcoming season. And so I think from a fit standpoint, that's better. I actually think there's a chance that Josh Richardson uh, shoots better with Luka setting him up, uh, sort of like a LeBron halo effect, than he does uh, in Philly where everything was just so cramped. I mean, the, the quality of shots they were getting last year in Philly was just bad. And I think that uh, cut into his uh, his efficiency. Um, you know, from this standpoint, though, if, if we're saying Philly is one of the big winners, I mean, I actually think Oklahoma City did well in all of this too, right? I mean, you're, you're picking up scrap assets here and there by facilitating all these different trades. You know, you're sending... Uh, you're sending uh, Horford in, you're sending Green out, you're sending Rubio to Minnesota, you are just got your hands in all sorts of different uh, pies and, and you're winding up at the end of the night with a whole bunch of draft picks. 
Sam Presti must just be loving life as the, the busiest guy in the league right now. You know, we should probably mention, though, that there is one very obvious loser, and it has nothing to do with those particular trades. It's just the Golden State Warriors losing Clay Thompson to a, a potentially significant lower leg injury. We're waiting on tests. Chris B. Haynes of Yahoo Sports reported that it could possibly be an Achilles, which would obviously mm. compromise potentially uh, you know, his entire upcoming season if, if that's what it turns out to be. I think this might have been part of the reason why I personally felt like a loser from draft night, Michael, is having that Clay Thompson news hit like an hour before this moment of hype and hope and excitement just kind of sucked all the wind out of the entire experience. At least it did for me, because I mean, to me, that's an injury that not only is happening to a great NBA figure, it's an important NBA organization. And it's coming at a really tough time. We're already going into a season that's going to be a lot different, shortened calendar, no fans and stands and everything else. I mean, it just hits on so many different levels, doesn't it? Anytime the headline news from an NBA draft is that a player potentially ruptured their Achilles tendon, that's just not what you want at all. And this is just a humongous bummer for the Golden State Warriors organization that is familiar, unfortunately, with that particular injury as KD suffered it uh, during the NBA Finals a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, just, you know, looking big picture real quick, this is pure devastation for the Warriors um, if it is to be that the that 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 that's the injury that Clay has suffered I mean he's already on a long-term max contract five years and uh, it's just I I feel really bad for him and I feel bad for the organization and and kind of what they need to traverse going forward um, no, I'll tell you man it's giving me flashback vibes to when I covered the Blazers and they just got hit with injury after injury after injury and they could never mm-hmm. kind of escape them I mean that's the vibe right now around that team I feel horrible for all their decision making and, and planners because they've been putting together all these different ideas of how can we get back into the title chase and all that and then poof you know that kind of goes up in smoke um, I feel terrible for Clay who'd been working to get back for 17 months he hadn't played a game since the finals he's about to take the court here in two weeks for training camp and next thing you know, you know, he's looking at this extended absence potentially. I, I'm curious, how good do you think the Warriors can be coming into this season if their lineup is basically Steph, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond, you've got James Wiseman, you've got Looney, but they don't go out there and make any other additional moves? Because I think it's a real question right now if you're ownership, how much do you want to spend on this roster if you don't have the chance to be a title contender this season. And personally, I just don't see it. I think they're stuck in the middle at best in the Western Conference standings uh, without Mm -hmm. Clay Thompson. I just think they're so thin from Wiggins on down in that lineup that I would be hesitant to, you know, spend an extra dollar that I need to. I would be kind of cutting costs. And honestly, Michael, I would be considering potentially going the other way and trying to get off as much money as I could during this kind of down season so I could try to retool with Steph, you know, heading into maybe the uh, 2021-2022 season. But I don't want to get too far ahead of things. Just how yeah. good do you think that, that uh, <laughs> Golden State could be right now without Clay? I, I mean, just if you're just eliminating Clay from the equation, that's you're not going to win the championship. And that's the expectation here for sure. Are they and even a top the five seed in the West? I mean... I don't see it, Man. personally. Like, you go right down the list. Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Mavericks. I mean, I, I, Jazz, you could say, are deeper and better than Golden State. I just don't know how they're playing any defense, right, when you're looking at those wing pieces. And I also think it's just so much burden on Steph. 
and look, if he misses two weeks with an ankle, your season's toast, right? I mean, I think it's it's more likely uh, that they're winding up kind of with the ceiling of like a seven or an eight seed, and and maybe possibly. Uh, realistically, something closer to like a 10 or 11, even if they're going for it, because they just don't have enough players there. I mean, I guess like the the options that you have um, are to head in the opposite direction, as you said, and just kind of hope that James Weissman in year two will be a monster and Clay will be 100%. And then uh, you're able to kind of retool that way. Um, we should mention that they have a $17.1 million trade exception that expires on Monday to try and replace Clay. And there are two candidates that I just want to broach by you real quick. Um, one is Eric Gordon, who they could fit into that number. And, you know, he positionally makes a lot of sense there. He's on a long-term deal, which is not what you want if you are the owners of this organization. And the other option is Evan Fournier, who's also making, who just opted into a $17 million player option. That is expiring. So I feel like if Clay is to miss one season, that makes sense to me. Now, it would push the tax bill above $50 million, which is a lot of money, especially during a pandemic when they probably or may not be able to have fans in their building. Um, what do you think about just adding one of those two pieces? I think we should focus on Fournier. That seems to be the, the way more realistic option. Do you well, think let, that let that me changes say this. the calculus? These are both great ideas, right? But I actually like both of those guys with the trade exception better if Clay was healthy this year, right? Like you could plug yep. Eric Gordon in as a scorer off the bench. Now you're you're looking pretty loaded. Now you've got the potential to have a, you know, a lead playmaker when Steph's off the court. Like you've got a lot of different options there. If you're telling me I have to spend $50 million of luxury tax to chase a five seed in the Western Conference and, and maybe not even win a, a first round playoff series, Look, I know their ownership loves to brag about how light years ahead they are, and I know they've got you know billions of dollars. They built their own arena and everything else. At some point, it's like, is it really worth it? Um, you know, and uh, is it in the best interest of the franchise long term? Uh, that's where the Fournier part would come in because it would just be like a pretty clean placeholder. But you're going to have to probably give up assets to make that happen, right? And yeah. I, I don't know. Personally, if it was me, I would be more inclined to go the other way. I would take a big step back here and say, look. We're in a really tough spot. This trio of Clay, Steph, and Draymond, they're not going to win another title together. These injuries are just too much. Draymond's going to be declining. They're not going to be back into the picture until the 2022 playoffs. That's so far away from right now. And it's even further away from the 2019 finals, right? I think I would be inclined to say, how can I get off of Draymond's contract? How can I get off of Andrew Wiggins' contract? Can I get a situation where, you know, the development of James Weissman is like priority two this season instead of being like priority seven, like it was going to be if everybody was healthy? What if that's priority two? And then obviously keeping Steph Curry as happy as possible is is priority one. And just basically pitching him on this idea of like, look, we've got to retool this thing hard. We're going to wait until Clay comes back and we're going to give ourselves as much flexibility as possible around the Splash Brothers and James Wiseman to be able to go out there and, and find a third impact making type player, whether it's by trade or free agency sometime down the road. I know that sounds drastic. Obviously, you're not going to do that until you get the the full word back on Clay Thompson's health. But does that appeal to you at all as an option here, Michael? I mean, can I answer that with what might be a ludicrous question to you? Sure. Um, when do you consider 
trading Steph Curry. No, 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 no. Too early least, for that. Too at early least for that. Kicking the tire. He's 32 years old. So I understand what you're saying, but he's a point guard who has an injury has injury history that is um, pretty significant. I, I, I just I don't know. I think like no, they're, they're not going to do that. Look, here's the thing. Like I'm with you. Like again, in in a vacuum with no personalities, with no actual humans, is kind of similar to my argument with the Harden trade in Houston. Right? It's like uh-huh. it's a very similar situation. If you come to the end of the road, it's better to rip off the band aid. I think the difference is that Steph Curry, by all accounts, has showed that he's completely happy uh, with the Golden State Warriors. Um, that they've had good alignment between him, the coaching staff, management, and ownership the whole way through. No, no cracks are showing there. And I think ultimately, like their ability to find a player as a centerpiece that's better than Steph Curry at any point here over the next three to four years is you know, very, 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 very limited, right? Well, real quick, we should also mention then that Steph Curry is eligible to become a free agent after next season. So if Steph Curry, if you are bad this season, if you're a a five seed, a six seed, if you miss the playoffs, uh, heaven forbid, (laughs) again, and then the following season, you are not a championship contender, like what is your case to a 34-year-old Steph Curry to stick around? I think you might be, I just think this is a, I'm not saying they should trade Steph Curry. I'm not a a lunatic yet, um, especially before we even know what's going on with Clay. But I do think it is something to just to, to discuss and to bring up because the NBA is wild and teams are throwing around future draft picks like I don't even know what. So I would just see what you could get for him potentially. Um, it's a real tough pill to swallow, though. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I just feel like he's kind of you know, the unicorn, like oh, the one guy who is just so loyal and so locked in with that franchise, that fan base, that region. Um, yeah. You know, and it's just been so comfortable the whole way. Has shown no interest to want out. That you can bet, you know, pretty pretty well that even if Clay has to miss the entire season, and even if you do have to go through a teardown, he would be along for the ride if you wanted him. And frankly, like he's a cash cow too, right? I mean, and when you're looking at that arena, needing to sell it out, the luxury suites and all that stuff, once they can finally open it up here in a year or two. They need Steph Curry as a draw. So I can't really see them going that direction unless something changes with his mind. But at the same time, a lot of people had a really hard time imagining Houston without Harden. And that situation has accelerated yeah. very, very quickly. So um, I, I guess the the takeaway from this entire conversation is that it's terrible news in the short term for Golden State. It also completely throws off years of planning. And it throws what they had hoped would be another you know title contention window here with with a couple years with that core group completely up in the air and it's uh it's devastating for the league as well look i mean the best case scenario for the league this season was that we got like a lakers clippers warriors three-way rivalry where they're just duking it out every single night and you're getting high level games from those three teams in the western conference and who's going to be the top uh you know can curry lead this comeback charge up the standings or is it lebron or is it Kawhi leonard getting some redemption after the bubble and everything else and that storyline to me has gone poof and i don't love writing off uh, guys especially if they're proven champions it's just that roster is just in a really tough spot I feel for all of our uh, listeners in the Bay Area as well. I'm sure this is a a very, very tough listen right now, Michael. So maybe we should switch it up. Give me some more winners. What about some winners, Michael? Uh, Anybody from the draft? I know we've talked some trades and and some veteran teams kind of retooling things so far. 
Um, what about among like the top five picks? Did you see a, a clear winner, either player or team? Um, I have a, uh, I guess like a, a, an organization that's just outside the top five that I really love what they did. And we talked about them in depth in a recent episode, and that is the Detroit Pistons. I just, I love that they're committed to starting over. Um, you know, they get Killian Hayes, who's this crafty, high upside, primary ball handler who can potentially be an all-star someday. <clears throat> they trade uh, Luke Kennard instead of paying him his next contract, which was something that was kind of hanging in the air for that organization. And you didn't want him to enter restricted free agency and lose him for nothing. And you get back... Um, a, uh, a really solid uh, player who I love, Sadiq Bey from Villanova. And I wrote this piece for 538 this week about uh, Sadiq Bey and uh, Aaron Neesmith and uh, Devin Vassell from Florida State as the three guys who I just fell in love with throughout the draft process and kind of scouting all these players um, because you can just plug them in and they'll be impactful right away. And they fit such needs in the modern game. Uh, with their defensive versatility and their three-point shooting. So I think that was a really smart move. And then they trade a future first for Isaiah Stewart. And more importantly, just I love the philosophical idea of taking on Trevor Ariza's salary um, as a dumping ground to get an asset like that. So I just I just loved what the Detroit Pistons did and the, kind of the signals that they sent to the rest of the league. Yeah, hey, they were one of the teams that we had said they need to get a playmaker. They should be considering up to trade, you know, for LaMelo or, you know, mm-hmm. one of these other guards who can just add some pop, some spice, some interest to their backcourt. And I think having Killian Hayes available for them and taking him was great. Like that that fits very cleanly and he's got a chance to be a star level guy. He's got probably some of the higher upside uh, in this particular class of of guys where there aren't a lot of guys that are viewed as um, perennial all-star level players he's going to need some runway and some leash I think to be able to get there and Detroit has nothing else going on so this is a, a good fit for him hopefully like he's going to be able to look at this as a two or three year developmental project where he's just kind of taking steps gradually 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 to becoming kind of the, the guy you trust the offense and, and kind of build around and that's got some upside that's got some hope if I'm a Pistons fan I'm feeling pretty good about that especially when you're comparing, you know, some of the other options who were available in that range or who Detroit had been linked to. It's nice to have versatile forwards, defensive-minded guys. I mean, that's like a nice piece if you've already got your established, uh, you know, lead playmakers. Like, for example, Cleveland takes Isaac Okoro. I like that pick Mm -hmm. for them because they already have ball handlers and point guards on the rosters, right? That makes sense. You know, Chicago takes, uh, you know, Patrick Williams. I don't like that as much because I still don't know who's going to pass him the freaking ball. And maybe they're going to go out and grab like right. Fred Van Vliet. And in that case, I will like that Patrick Williams move for them. But I just think uh, for Detroit, they just accurately um, looked at their roster, saw what their biggest need was, and filled it. Can I say uh, along similar lines, is it crazy to say LaMelo Ball is a huge winner here um, in this year's draft? I, you know, we don't normally say that about guys who get drafted uh, to Charlotte because it's you know, not the most prestigious landing spot and they haven't had a lot of winning and all of that. I think it's great news for him that he doesn't have to deal with the burden of being a number one overall pick, right? I think that that, just because of his father and all the hype around his brother and everything else, if he had come out of this draft as the number one guy, expectations would have skyrocketed. I'm not sure he's that good. And so I think from that standpoint, it's just, it's it's good framing for his career going forward. 
Second of all, it's better for him to land in uh, Charlotte as opposed to Minnesota or Golden State. The fits are cleaner. There's less overlap. The opportunity should be greater. He can kind of go forward again, much like Killian Hayes in Detroit with, you know, a lot of leash and a lot of runway to try to uh, reach his potential. So I like that one. Um, actually both for LaMelo and for Charlotte, because why not, you know, take a ride. Now, if they wind up trading for Westbrook and their backcourt is Westbrook and LaMelo, I retract no. <laughs> I retract everything I said, right? Um, I, I agree 100% with everything that you just said. I feel like Charlotte wins. They get potentially the best player in the draft, the best talent. A lot of evaluators believe that. Really and they didn't have ones. to trade up, right? Like that was the other thing is we thought maybe yeah. they would trade up to one. And so it's always good when that guy falls in your lap. Uh, I think that the other winner just in this conversation is us as basketball fans and people who watch a lot of NBA league pass. Like every time Charlotte is on television, I'm like, you know, rolling my eyes a little bit. I'm not really pumped to see what's going on now. I mean, the Charlotte Hornets might get a nationally televised game or two. I could totally see that happening because everybody wants to see what uh lamella ball can do oh, at this man. stage if they give him the zion treatment and they very well might they might get 15 <laughs> oh, they, might. they might give 15 <laughs> national television games who knows yeah so I'm, I'm excited for that i think they're going to give him the ball i don't think that you know i tweeted last night as a total joke that this is still terry rogier's team uh, i you know i could see terry did Rogier you really tweet that michael come <laughs> yeah. on don't insult have, the people out there come on now I, I have to rep Scary Terry forever. Um, but yeah, I could see Terry Rogier like easily getting traded pretty soon before uh, LaMelo's rookie scale deal. I mean, the whole thing is built around LaMelo now, which is really solid for that organization and just kind of how um, they finally have direction. They finally have a guy who they know they can build around is, is similar to, you know, the strategy that Atlanta t- has taken uh, since they drafted Trey Young. You just, you know, the pieces um, that you want to add in free agency and trading and drafting. So like, that's awesome. That's really exciting for them. Um, I have a real quick LaMelo related question for you though. Bring we just it talked on. about, we just talked about the Warriors and you know they take Wiseman. Do you think that the Clay Thompson injury should have affected their mentality there? Like, if they did maybe have Lamelo higher on their board than Wiseman, but they drafted Wiseman more out of fit than than anything else, um, was that a mistake on Golden State's part? I thought about that as well because now you could theoretically you're plugging him in and you have two backcourt ball handlers and playmakers and it's him and Steph. I just don't see the fit from a culture standpoint and from Mm -hmm. a need for the ball standpoint, right? I just think that, yes, he's a flashy passer, but I think the complete lack of defense um, and just some of the less fundamental aspects of his game, I think that people get caught up in this idea that Golden State plays with joy and all they're doing is running around and having a good time and there's Steph Curry going off picks and just you know pulling up from 30 feet. It's just a, a huge carnival, right? So much of what made Golden State Golden State during their peak years was a lot of discipline and focus and togetherness, right? A lot of guys buying into a system that made them all better. Um, And I just don't see LaMelo as that kind of guy, right? I do think he's more of just the showman. Hey, I'm just going out there and seeing what happens. And, you know, I'm I'm improvising. And I I just don't think it would have fit very well uh, with Golden State. Now, had Anthony Edwards been available at number two, and you're saying, well, this is a shooting guard. We've got a big hole at shooting guard. I mean, maybe that would have made me think, but 
uh, it seemed like from what Golden State said in their in their post draft interviews that they just really liked Wiseman. They had a hole in the center. They were willing to bet that he was going to be the the best long term player from this draft, and so they they were just kind of locked in on him. And and they'll try to address whatever else comes their way um, down the road. But I think again, it's much better for Lamelo to avoid Golden State because that's a, a tricky fit for him. Um, and I loved your Trey Young comparison there, Atlanta. I think that's uh, that's right on the money. And Michael, the news that we had been fearing and, and dancing around here for the last 20 minutes just came through. Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN.com has just reported that Clay Thompson did suffer a season-ending Achilles tear. So that puts some of these scenarios that I've been describing in terms of how do you move forward if you're Golden State, what do you do? Um, it it kind of puts those uh, you know completely crystallized. Unfortunately, with the Achilles tear, he's going to miss this entire upcoming season. You know because the season will essentially run through May, the regular season, and then you know next year most likely will start in October. Whether he's going to be available, you know, if he doesn't have a full year recovery at the start of next season, that's also I would imagine would be in question too. So um, horrible news as we've described, uh, you know, kind of time and time again here on this show for Golden State. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Michael, I find it curious. We've been talking for about a half an hour, but we've barely mentioned the name of the number one pick or the team that selected number one. That's uh, Minnesota Timberwolves and, and Anthony Edwards. Are they winners? Are they losers? Are they just meh? I mean, how do we come <sighs> out feeling about that number one pick? I mean, you know, I have a, a list of five winners and five losers, and it's, you know, I don't want to rain on Minnesota's parade, but I have them as a loser here. And 
you know, heading into this whole process, it's not like I wanted them to take James Wiseman or I wanted them to take LaMelo Ball, who I think we made clear that we did not want them to take LaMelo Ball for a variety of reasons. So I guess from the top three prospects, uh, Edwards is the best fit, the cleanest fit, maybe one of the better, maybe he can be the best player in the class. We don't know. But like the more I thought about it, like, and the fact that Minnesota reportedly was, you know, fielding offers up until they made the selection, which tells me they weren't 100% confident in Edwards as the guy, weren't 100% sold on him for a variety of reasons that we can get into. Like, what is the best trade offer that you had for that number one pick? I mean, I would have potentially explored that a little bit more if I was Minnesota. I, I don't know. I can't get excited about this. Can you? Yeah, look, I wanted them to trade or find something else. To, I just don't think that it's gonna. he's going to help them on their path to trying to kind of win in the short term, and it's going to wind up being one of these things where Towns and Russell are ready to do it, and do they have a cast that's around them kind of ready to help? And he, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I think, uh, struggles early on for him to adjust to just NBA-caliber athletes after he's been sort of a standout physical uh, you know prospect at the high school and college levels there's going to be an adjustment there he doesn't necessarily have the knockdown outside shot that eases those things and there's going to be defensive questions with him just like there are with Russell and Towns so um, I don't hate it Um, I think it was like the kind of the logical backup plan the whole way right is you just take the guy who doesn't conflict with uh, Russell or or Towns uh, like uh, Ball and, and Weissman did but I just didn't love it. I was hoping for more for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And so I guess I'm just kind of like sideways on that. What has you nervous about Edwards as a pro? Well, he shot 29% from behind the three-point line. He Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> it is for, it's only here at Georgia. Um, you know, there was a recent story on ESPN.com that made some headlines about him speaking on basketball and his love for basketball or lack thereof and how much he wished he could play football instead. And that's just not what you want uh, with your franchise player. And even though they obviously have Towns and Russell, like when you take a first overall pick, that's your franchise player in a lot of ways. Can Um, I hop in on that? Because there was this whole debate on Twitter where people are like, oh, he doesn't like basketball. And then someone else came along and they're like, well, not every player has to be Kobe. And I agree. There is a wide range between I actually want to play professional football and I'm obsessed with basketball as Kobe Bryant. I just want most lottery picks to kind of be angling more towards the Kobe Bryant side of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Yeah. um, (laughs) I just, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's, it's, it's just a weird thing to see in a profile right before the draft. Um, And so, I mean, I'm not like writing him off or anything, but then he also, said in his post, uh, you know, in in an interview shortly thereafter, a press conference, um, that, you know, one of the things he's working on is, like, trying hard for an entire game. Like, what? (laughs) I just, like, I'm sorry. Like, these things are red flags up the wazoo for me. Um, I I can't get excited about it. I'm sorry. He might be, like, the next James Harden. Uh, Physically, everyone, he's just off the charts and all that. and his athleticism is amazing. And you watch some of these highlights, and they're just they're 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 jaw dropping. But I don't know. I can't. I just can't get in. Fall in love with it. And um, 
No, look, I, I'm with and, you. I also worry just because Russell kind of has that knock too, right? He's there some nights, not always there other nights, and even Towns. There's there's some inconsistency there. I think he's he's definitely gotten more consistent offensively, where you know he's just going to be a problem every single night from a scoring standpoint. But defense, I feel like there's big fluctuations right. in in uh, his effort level, and I mean that's a real coaching challenge. And so you know, a guy like Ryan Saunders, uh, you know, he's going to be he's going to be <laughs> earning his keep this year up in Minnesota. I'm going to say that. Um, any other standout winners and losers from your uh, from your draft analysis, Michael? We think we've covered a lot of the top teams here. Um, I guess yeah. did you feel like Golden State grabbing Weissman was a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Real quick. Uh, as much as I was all about this before, um, I think I'm a <laughs> thumbs I'm a thumbs neutral. Just like. You drove know, the, the car news, off the lot and didn't it, like it? Yeah, a little bit. And also just like the clay news really puts a damper on that whole organization right now. And so I think there's a lot more pressure on Weissman to do things that maybe he wouldn't be ready for as a rookie. Um, so, yeah, I'm just I, I'm, I'm now thinking just like maybe they should have drafted LaMelo or maybe they should have traded back, um, used that pick uh, attached to Andrew Wiggins contract and just get creative there. Um, I don't know. It's it's just a really bad situation for them, and so I don't want to let it like damper Weissman's um, excitement, and he should be excited for being the second overall pick and all that. But I, I don't know. I'm not as excited as I was like 72 hours ago. I'm slightly more excited. I thought that uh, he was pretty convincing in terms of saying he was willing to buy into a role in Golden State, saying that he wanted to be coachable, saying that he was excited to go there. And it's a great opportunity to go to that organization. Look, there's not very many places you're going to be able to go as a top pick where you're getting to play with a legit Hall of Fame franchise level guy. Um, You know, everybody is going to talk about Draymond being this demanding leader. Completely fair. He's going to get down on the young guys. But sometimes that can be exactly what you need if you're a young player to kind of, uh, if you can find a, a respectful way to make that relationship work, you can learn an awful lot. Great coaching, great facilities, great market brand new building like there are a lot worse places you could land in the lottery than the golden state Warriors. so i think he should be feeling like he won the lottery um even as the number two pick hit me with some more losers michael some more losers um okay uh how about you know this is little to do with actual draft news similar to the philadelphia 76ers but the milwaukee bucks uh we have not recorded an episode since that monstrous Drew Holiday tr- trade. And we learned um, yesterday that uh, part of that deal, or I guess not technically part of that deal, but sort of connected, was a sign-and-trade with Bogdan Bogdanovich in Sacramento. And it looks like that is not going to happen, potentially, um, because Bogdan was unaware of his <laughs> his, his part in the transaction. Um, so this is just like... I don't think it's 100% devastating for Milwaukee. You know, they still have some flexibility here that they wouldn't have otherwise had um, just contractually uh, with bringing on Bogdan's salary, and they get to keep Dante DiVincenzo and and et cetera. Um, But I I think it's a problem for two real quick reasons. Number one, if, like, Giannis loved Bogdan, and that was one of the reasons that you did this transaction, um, that's not good. Um, and if you don't have a, a 100% agreement packed there with Giannis on signing the Supermax, um, that's not great because you still gave up a ton for Drew Holiday. And I don't know if Milwaukee makes this trade 
um, if they give up three first-round picks and two pick swaps for Drew Holiday without Bogdan also coming in the door. So I think that this could be pretty devastating. No, they had a master plan all put together. Look, they were looking at Drew Holiday, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Chris Middleton, mm-hmm. Giannis, and Brooke Lopez as the best starting lineup and the best lineup period in the Eastern Conference, right? Yes. They were going to have— in the, in, the, in the NBA, in my opinion. Yeah, they were going to have four shooters. Um, they were going to have uh, Giannis, obviously, as the non-shooter, but one of the best offensive forces in basketball. They were going to have three or four very, very high-level uh, defensive pieces, and they were going to have filled their most important holes from last year, which is they needed a shot creator on the perimeter uh, when the offense bogged down. That was going to be Bogdanovich. They needed another ball handler and just like lead uh, facilitator who you could actually trust in the playoffs, and that was Drew Holiday after replacing Eric Bledsoe. And they were going to need to never watch Eric Bledsoe play in the playoffs ever again. And this masterstroke plan accomplished all three of those goals, right? I mean, they they pretty much cleaned house, used up all of their bench asset pieces and, and draft picks and everything mm-hmm. to construct this five-man group. Guess what, Michael? Uh, a five-man lineup is, is a lot better than a four-man lineup, right? And if Bogdan doesn't show up, if he doesn't find a way to kind of put this deal back together, if it's just completely off... Uh, I think that Milwaukee is going to have to scramble here to try to find a backup plan. And I can't imagine they're going to find a backup plan as good as Bogdan. I loved that fit for Milwaukee. And frankly, I love that fit for Bogdan too. And I hope he's getting a good advice here because that is an awesome opportunity to go to play for Milwaukee. Not only is he going to be on a big stage in the playoffs, they're going to need exactly what he does. He's going to have plenty of runway, and they can cover up his weaknesses defensively better than almost any team in the league. So from that standpoint, um, I don't know if, if just the money wasn't right or exactly what's happening. Maybe somebody's going to come through with some crazy offer to to change the entire terms, but I like that fit a lot for him, just as much as I liked it for Milwaukee. And uh, so that was disappointing. I don't know exactly how you pivot if you're the Bucks, and I'm sure they've got to be livid, right? Because when a deal like this gets announced, everybody's reported it. It seems like it's signed, sealed, and delivered. And then something goes wrong on the Sacramento side of things, and they have a first-time GM there um, in Monty McNair, who, who came over from Houston. That's mm-hmm. on him, you know, bottom line. And that could be a reputation ruiner right there if he can't figure out a way to get the story straight or put things back together or, or fix it. I mean, that's one where like everyone's going to look at you differently if, if you don't come through uh, on, on what you promise. So very messy situation. The Bucks are absolutely one of the biggest uh, losers, I should say, of this entire week because they had their plan and now the plan is completely hanging. We have no idea how it's going to get resolved. What did you make of the price for Drew Holiday? I know a lot of people thought it was too much, you know, three picks, two pick swaps uh, for a guy who's made one all-star team. And, you know, he's a very good player, but not an elite or a great player. Um, You know, within the context of what Milwaukee was trying to do, going out to get Bogdan and also obviously trying to pitch Giannis on signing the Supermax, uh, did all that make sense? I mean, did you feel like that was an overpay or was it justifiable? If Giannis said to you, get Drew Holiday no matter what, and I'm going to sign the Supermax, then great. Awesome trade. <laughs> that's that's super. Um, if he did not say that, this is just like dereliction of duty. Um, three first-round picks and two pick swaps for a guy who can enter free agency uh, after this season um, and has made one all-star team. And, like, I, I mean, it's... That's just atrocious. It just is. Like if if Giannis leaves, 
you might as well just move the Milwaukee Bucks to Las Vegas. Like, Whoa. I, what, what it, Whoa. Honestly, <laughs> what, what are they going to be as an organization if Giannis leaves now? It's like they have no path towards rebuilding. Um, it's just it's 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 I don't even know what it's cataclysmic. Like, right. Unprecedented well, cataclysmic. Doesn't the downside of Giannis is potentially leaving and the need to keep him happy kind of justify the holiday price? Right. Like. I think the other possible move that would have been available to them was going to grab Chris Paul at an even higher salary uh, figure, which would have precluded them from going to get Bogdan, right? So their, I think their choice was like, do we crazy overpay for Holiday and still have money to pay Bogdan, or do we take Chris Paul and then just try to fill out the roster around the edges? I think those were pretty much their options, right? And they had mm. to do something to make Giannis uh, you know, feel like they were on top of things, and they had to get rid of Eric Bledsoe, period. He just had to go. There was no way they could bring him back after the way he played in the playoffs. So, you know, at that point, I understand how expensive it got. I still think it was justified. But if he winds up coming into the season without signing the Supermax, that winds up hanging over their entire year, doesn't it? I mean, now it's just every single day. Are you going to sign? Are you going to sign? Did they do enough? You know, are you happy with Holiday? There's going to be a lot of pressure on Holiday to perform. You know, are you the guy who's going to be able to keep, uh, you know, Giannis here and, and keep him happy when you just showed up and like, you know, you're the new guy and all of a sudden all this pressure falls on you. Very, very tough, dicey dynamic. And, uh, you know, again, it just goes back to the the crazy impact here with Bogdanovich. Do you feel like if they had gotten the Bogdanovich deal done, maybe f- filled out their bench with a couple of veteran pieces that Giannis would have just resigned? It kind of felt like that was the momentum. That was the direction he was leaning, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 as good as they still would have been with Bogdan and Drew and just just how they were set up with that starting five, I still think that you don't give up three first round picks and two pick swaps unless Giannis has already indicated to you that like, hey, if you make moves, I'm going to sign the Supermax. Like that's, I just, I think that that is so risky. What Um, if he winked at you and smiled? (laughs) Does he have to give you the handshake? I'll do it. Can he just give you a little, uh, a little hint that maybe he might? I mean, look, like we talked about Drew Holiday going to the Milwaukee Bucks as a possibility, right? And my fake trade had one future first in it. And I, I thought that it's that amazing. was... It, it's, and I thought it was fair at the time. Like it seemed reasonable. <laughs> and in hindsight, I could understand two first round picks, right? Or maybe even three and no swaps because you're saying, okay, like you have to pay a premium for Holiday because a lot of teams want him. So you get two first round picks and you have to pay one first round pick, the Eric Bledsoe tax to get rid of him. I could kind of understand that. The total package was a lot. But let me say this, doesn't Holiday fit pretty well as an X factor in the playoffs now? I mean, if you have to go against Kyrie, Kemba... Kyle Lowry, uh, you know, like a Tyler Hero potentially with Miami. Um, that is a nice piece to have if you're Milwaukee, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I was watching a bunch of film of Drew Holiday, just his defense, and uh, simultaneously a lot of film of Milwaukee and their defense against the Miami Heat and just what kind of happened there and why they couldn't uh, deal with <clears throat> with that offense. And... Yeah, having someone like Drew Holiday who's able to just switch off. But we talk a lot about when we talk about switching, we talk about on ball switching. Uh, someone who can switch off ball is just as critical, and Drew Holiday can guard anybody. So um, there were a lot of ball screen situations where um, they just weren't prepared, Milwaukee, either personnel or just because they were not 
practice doing it during the regular season. I think if you add Drew Holiday to the mix, he's such a smart defender, such a physical presence that uh, I think that that part of your, your unit will be more solidified and you'll be able to switch off ball as well as on ball a little bit more, which is something that they're going to have to do if they win the, they want to win the championship. So I just think he, yeah, he's a brilliant fit defensively. And then offensively, it kind of goes without saying. Um, and it kind of brings me back to just like, maybe you should have just kept Malcolm Brogdon. If this is what you're doing, this is just like another mistake by the front office, unfortunately. Um, uh, but if like the Bogdan thing, just getting back to that really quick, doesn't happen, like you were kind of alluding to this before, but you got to bring back those players now. Like Dante DiVincenzo knows that you wanted to trade him. Um, so if he's just, I, I, you know, these are professionals, but like that's a tough pill to swallow, man, because that dude was a contributor to your team. Um, and you were on a 70 win pace to during the regular season last year, and you were incredible. Well, if that's nothing a few beer and, you know, rounds of beer and cheese curds can't fix, I think you can smooth out that part of it. Look, I mean, those guys. I mean, they're all good character players in the first place. I mean, Milwaukee has kind of tried to highlight those, uh, you know, type of guys. I think they're they're team first level guys. They're going to get it. Um, the the level of pressure the organization is on to build around Giannis. They're also going to understand that they didn't get it done in last year's playoffs. So I'm not so worried about that aspect of it. I think if I'm Milwaukee, I'm really worried. What do I do to fill that hole? You have to have a piece to fill that hole. And so you have to go out there and get it done. And we'll see what they come up with. I think they probably face more pressure right now as a front office, would you agree, than any team in the league? Just um, heading yeah. into free agency. I mean, if you're saying, no, it's, okay. It's the Giannis. It's the Giannis factor, 100%. Um, and so. And getting your hopes raised, too, right? You know, like the expectations that bar has been set and it's been set really high because Bogdan Bogdanovich was a really nice fit. Hey, let's yep, shift yep. gears back to the lottery for a little bit because I don't want to overlook the draft entirely. How are we feeling about the Knicks and Obi Toppin? Thumbs up, thumbs down on that one? I mean,. I had to chuckle because, look, if there was a 22-year-old ready-to-go NBA player available uh, for Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks to select, even if he's a terrible defensive piece, uh, I would have imagined that's exactly what he was going to do. He was going to want that immediate help as quickly as possible. He wasn't going to worry about the long-term future. I think with the types of players who were available there at eight, um, I think it's a defensible uh, selection. You know, I didn't necessarily love a lot of the guys after that, like far more than Obi Toppin. At the same time, I just worry, is this a case where you have a new front office regime, you have a new coach, but you've got the same philosophical mistakes where it's just like, yeah, we're trying to take shortcuts to winning whenever we possibly can, and you're always kind of winding up in a place where you don't win? So I had the Knicks as, like, you know, if I'm power ranking my losers list, they were the fifth team. So, like... Not massive losers. Not... (laughs) Not massive losers. That is right. That's the that's the slogan heading into the 2020-2021 season. Um, you know, Obi Toppin might be uh, the rookie of the year, and that's that's great. Um, but he's like projected to be a stretch five long term, and so you know, I'm not saying that Mitchell Robinson is a franchise player or anything like that, but it might have made just a little bit more sense to go with someone like Tyrese Halliburton. Or uh, Denny, I don't want to butcher his last name, from Tel Aviv, who went to the Washington Wizards. Avdia from Tel Aviv, who went to the Washington Wizards at nine. Um, So, I mean, those two players are really more so, I think, what the Knicks need. 
uh, in terms of just you, you need someone who can set everybody else up. Like you need a playmaker. You need someone who can handle the ball uh, at uh, a critical position um, and make teammates around you better. Uh, so if if Obi Toppin is a minus on the defensive end as a big man for his entire career, which, you know, maybe he won't be. Maybe the Knicks believe that Tibbs can kind of turn that part of his game around and really squeeze all they can out of out of his talent. Um, but, like, if he is bad on def- defense, you're kind of stuck with a really big problem once you get into the playoffs, if you ever do get into the playoffs. So I would have gone, I think, in a different route with my draft selection. I mean, I haven't watched that much of him, but he does kind of feel like a lost cause. Like, his body just doesn't move properly <laughs> on the defensive end, you know? Like, I don't know. People call yeah. it, like, stiffness or it's, like, in the hips or however you want to phrase it. Like, he just doesn't cover ground. He doesn't have that natural instinct to get from point A to point B. I, You know, he definitely is not going to be able to guard, like, athletic fours. I mean, that's going to be a real issue for him. And I just don't think he's, like, you know, it's kind of that classic. He's not big and bulky enough to really be a five. So, defensively, his position is probably, like, backup, you know, like, small ball five, right? Oh, um, sweet. Which, that that's tough. So, but offensively, you want to start him at four, I would, I would think. So, it's... Uh, you know, it's a tough situation. He's a walking mismatch every single night. It's just a matter of can he score more than he gives up, basically. It's a, a classic basketball dilemma, right? They're all boiled down in, the, in, in one person. <laughs> what did you think about the Phoenix Suns, Michael? Uh, kind of a weird pick. Um, I believe they took Jalen Smith out of Maryland, number 10. There mm. was like four good guards that went right after him, 11, yeah. 12, 13, yeah. 14. And what made me laugh about that was... I feel like all four teams right after Phoenix all went home feeling like they had just picked up a $100 bill off the ground um, because they were like the the winners. Like money had just fallen into their pocket because they got guys they didn't expect were going to be available, whether it's Halliburton, Nesmith, and, and right down the list for these different teams. Um, is that a sign that that was a pretty bad pick by Phoenix? Do you understand what they were going for? And should we take note that James Jones just does not care about mock drafts and he will just pick whoever he wants, regardless if people will say, wow, bro, wow, when he takes Cam Johnson or if everyone's going to just you know, throw their, their mock drafts up in the air when he takes uh, Jalen Smith this year? Yeah, I mean, who am I to criticize? Because as you said, I mean, they, they take Cam Johnson, everyone laughs at them on draft night, and then that dude is just a really quality... NBA player who provides uh, a necessary skill with his outside shooting. Um, this just seems to me like they are drafting for need, though. And as high as I am on the Phoenix Suns, uh, you know, Chris Paul is 35 years old. He's going to be 37 when this contract expires. And um, have you had any you buyer's be- remorse on that trade yet, by the way? It's been sinking in for me a little bit. I was like kind of <laughs> I was like kind of excited about uh, the, the, the Suns and what that could mean this year. But the idea that Chris Paul is going to be able to like, you know, uh, duplicate his success in Oklahoma City and his health in Oklahoma City, that's given me the shivers. Like I, now all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know. This could wind up not looking great at all. It's possible. No, I'm fine with the trade. I think they'll be good over the next two years. But, I mean, this pick, they could have, as you said, they could have taken Halliburton. And that's someone who, in year three, when he's trying to make a leap as a player, um, Chris Paul's gone. And all of a sudden, you have Aiton, Booker, and Halliburton. And if Halliburton's good, 
like there you are, you're set for the next umpteen years. Um, so you're not good enough yet, or you're not in a in a place in your life cycle where you can draft for need. Um, in my opinion, if you're Phoenix. And so Halliburton, like I had the Kings as a winner because they got Halliburton and dropped to them at 12. Um, I think that Devin Vassell, Sadiq Bey, and Aaron Nismith, these three guys who I keep harping on, um, all three would have been uh, really helpful, I think, for Phoenix. And you can kind of really do interesting things lineup-wise with uh, uh, quote-unquote three and D pieces after losing Kelly Oubre. So... Um, I, I just don't, I mean, I don't really know enough about the player that they picked to say that he's trash or I'm not going to say anything like that, but I do think that there were other pieces on the board who could have helped them in the short and long term more so than the one they picked. I think a lot of people had him back, you know, towards like the 20 range, just because he's more of a physical interior type power forward. Um, and you know, he's not a super long shot blocker. He had good block shot numbers in college, but he's not like this, uh, you know, traditional rim protecting piece. He looks a lot like a backup four. And the thing is they had a hole at backup four. A lot of their frontline pieces right now are lacking in, you know, girth, size, physicality. So he's going to address a need. But, uh, you know, again, it's not like you're tooling up for like some title chase here. And and also those kinds of backup fours are available for pretty cheap in free agency, right? I was about to say, and also like, one number one, can he play with DeAndre Ayton? That's a significant question. You have a top ten pick. You want him to be on the floor at some point with your franchise center. Number two, if you love him so much, trade back. Like, do your your investigative work and know what other teams around the league value and where you can still get him, and also pick up another asset. Like, that's kind of what you do here. Um, so even if he is successful, it's just not the smartest value play if you're Phoenix's front office. Um, James Jones, James Jones, you got to call Michael (laughs) Pina for some, uh, for some consulting advice on that GM job any day he's available. Um, yeah, please give me, give me unload your final takes here. We're wrapping up. So who else you got? Okay. Beautiful. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, they still have a really intelligent front office. It turns out, um, you know, they, they come into the night with no first round picks and they essentially turn Landry Shamit into a better, slightly bigger player. Um, I like Luke Kennard more than Landry Shamit. Um, I think he's just as good of a shooter, but he can handle the ball and make plays. And he, as I said, he's a little bit bigger for the defensive end. Um, and what they also did real quick is, not to get too technical, but they also shed some salary in this transaction. Um, and they are now better positioned to have access to the full mid-level if they should lose Montrez Harrell or Marcus Morris. So one player who I can see them targeting as a replacement using that mid-level exception is Tristan Thompson. And all of a sudden, I feel like that fit is perfect. You uh, have a relationship with Tristan and, and Ty Lu going back to their time in Cleveland together. Like, I, I just think like maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but I just I I really like that the the moves that they made here to increase their flexibility in a situation that looked pretty hopeless uh, a couple months ago are we sure Tristan Thompson's not going to be a Laker clutch clutch mafia (sighs) um (laughs) that's my prediction I don't know I I got all roads back uh, lead back to clutch for me unfortunately in this situation I think they're going to take care of KCP 
LeBron has been giving Tristan an awful lot of time on his Instagram stories here the last couple months, you know, shouting out brother for life and all this. I just wouldn't be surprised at all. We'll see. Uh, this is just me connecting dots based on uh, Instagram and very little else. Any other final takes here to wrap things up, Michael? Um, can I shout out really quick uh, my Celtics maybe? Oh, of course. Like well, they seconds. had the best pick of the whole draft. Can you can you explain to people why they made the single best no, selection? I mean, yeah, no, no, this is all you. I want to give the floor to you because we were talking before we started recording and you really made the case that Peyton Pritchard is like the next, the second coming. So please, the floor is yours, Ben. Can you believe Peyton Pritchard, West Lynn's own, look, not very many guys from Oregon get drafted, right? And uh, Peyton Pritchard is a, a very interesting scoring guard. He came up and, uh, you know, he just kind of took Oregon high school basketball by a storm. He came up a few years, obviously, after maybe a decade after guys like Kevin Love and Kyle Singler, who were sort of like very, very large, prominent figures in Oregon high school hoops. And he came through and just basically no one knew what to, to make of him. Uh, he's on the ball, you know, scoring almost at will as a freshman. He wound up leading a high school that had very little basketball success prior to his arrival to four consecutive state titles uh, during his high school career, which is basically unheard of uh, in Oregon. There's, I mean, it's not like it's the best basketball hotbed, but there's competition every single year from a number of uh, you know Portland City schools as well as well-funded private schools. And here comes West Lynn, a suburban school kind of out of nowhere, led by this guard who just cannot be stopped and is just lighting everybody up. Uh, four straight high school championships goes on to play at the University of Oregon. And I think ultimately those Oregon ties between Danny Ainge, another sensational high school player from Oregon, arguably the greatest high school athlete of all time from the state of Oregon, uh, given that he played three sports, uh, threw a lifeline to one of his uh, 503 buddies and, and grabbed Peyton Pritchard. What an exciting moment. Aren't you, aren't you really uh, thrilled here that you're going to be injected with some Pacific Northwest winning up there in New England? I'm pumped about it. It took me about 0.5 seconds. You know, I I, I uh, shot up Ken Palm and looked at some of his advanced stats. I saw that he had the highest offensive rating in all of college basketball last season. I watched some of the highlights where he's hitting buzzer beaters left and right. Um, I'm I'm excited about this. Well, here's the uh, thing: there is a possibility that he winds up being the greatest Chinese basketball association player of all time. Like <laughs> there, that that could be his destiny because the size thing is an issue, right? And the quickness at the yep. pro thing uh, level is an issue. And even in this like pace and space era, is he going to be able to create his shot against NBA length? I mean, that's going to be an open question. Could I see him going to China and averaging like 52 points a game? Absolutely. It's possible. But you're right. I mean, at the college level, he still came through as a very efficient player. So, I mean, I'm excited about that pick. I am excited again. I'll say his name for like the 16th time on this podcast episode, but Aaron Neesmith uh, out of Vanderbilt, um, you know, in only 14 games because of uh, a fractured foot, uh, he shot 52% from the three-point line. And so that just really sells me. And the fact yeah. that he has a 6'11 wingspan is terrific. So he'll fit right in right away. I really hope that doesn't come back to like 33% because of small sample size. Because that number Which got it, cited well, by... Yes. <laughs> right. uh, that's That number jumps off the page and gets everybody excited. I don't think that's why they drafted him, obviously. But uh, I think the truth's going to be somewhere in the middle. What do you think, Michael? <laughs> 
Yeah, or you know, maybe maybe this is sustainable, Ben. You never know with these things. Uh, maybe maybe he'll he make is over half of his threes. Maybe <laughs> he is the the greatest shooter of all time, and the uh, Phoenix Suns passed on him <laughs> for a backup power forward. Congratulations! All right, Michael. I think we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Great winners and losers. I want to hear from the Open Floor Globe. What'd you guys think? Who won? Who lost? Who did we overlook? Who did we undersell? Who did we uh, oversell? Possibly. Let us know. Open Floor Mail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com Michael they can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor that's two words when they find our page they can scroll down and hit rate and review uh, tap five stars it's just that easy to help us spread the word now Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver on Twitter at Ben.Golliver alright Michael until next week when we'll double back with the official uh, first podcast of the open free agency period and maybe the Milwaukee Bucks will have scrambled together some sort of a backup plan I will talk to you that's it Ben I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.